and welcome to Entmoot, the Battle Games in Middle-Earth podcast all about the Middle-Earth strategy battle game from Games Workshop. I'm Harry and this is episode 20. It feels like a big number because kind of it is. It's not the most special number but it feels really special because I've made it out of the teens into adulthood of the Entmoot podcast which is always very exciting. Uh, So uh, welcome along for the ride for another edition of Entmoot. Uh, If you haven't been here before, what have you been doing? Why have you joined at episode 20? Glad to have you along either way though. Uh, So it's all about tournaments here on Entmoot. I'm going to be talking about a a tournament throughout the next hour or maybe two or three, depends on how, how the episode pans out. Out, and all about the lists I build and will feature the return of Riddles in the Dark which is a little game that I play later on uh, where we play a clip from a film uh, any, not any old film of course but the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings films and you have to guess who speaks next we'll get onto that in a few minutes time but this week we're talking about a very interesting big exciting tournament this one is the Masters tournament now I'm, I teased ahead at this at the end of the previous podcast um, it's it's a slightly unusual one in some ways because it's basically built around the top 16 finishers of the Great British Hobbit League from last year and they battle it out to be crowned the master for the 2019 season so this is literally the end of the Great British Hobbit League uh, 2019 season uh, I already did the league finisher Will Champion has already been interviewed he won the league uh, officially but of course when you think about it Will Champion he's from Yorkshire he's up in the north uh, and he played a lot of his uh, events up in the north yeah of course he went down to some of them in the south but he might not have crossed the table with everyone particularly some of those folk who are doing really well in the south so this is going to test his metal and others metal against uh, the rest of the best the rest of the best or best of the rest so hopefully they're all making it to the midlands for nottingham uh, which is of course the home of warhammer world itself the the birth of uh, our wonderful wonderful hobby um but they're not going to be at warhammer world this is going to be a something just as cool actually seventh city games uh seventh city collectibles collectibles uh which i uh, featured in a previous uh, podcast um which i believe i can't remember the number but it was called rings of men which is a very exciting one you'll have to check back a few weeks uh, a few episodes ago so to go but this one as i say masters 17 uh, 16 finishes as you will well know i'm not in the top 16 finishers of the league i haven't won any events um i'm not very good generally you follow my progress you know i'm not very good uh, so apologies to have someone poor to cheer on. It's like supporting Boston United uh, in the football league, like I kind of do um, as my hometown, but not really because they're a bit rubbish and I don't really like football. But anyway, uh, you have someone a bit poor to cheer along to. But this time, this is very exciting because you'll kind of have someone great to cheer along to, and it's going to be the great uh, Mr. Ed Ball. Now, he's been a member of the podcast uh, many times now, um, just because he's, he dukes it out, wins quite a lot. Um, I also in, interviewed him in the previous podcast, um, where, we, uh, where we started off the last tournament with him, uh, where he, he gave me a good, good rollicking with his Rivendell Knights um, and against my three trebuchets. Check back at the previous podcasts uh, for, for, the, uh, uh, for the details of that battle report. But uh, this time... I'm going to be teaming up with Ed because the idea of this tournament is the top 16 finishers of the league come and battle it out to be crowned master for 2019. But there will also be a doubles event on the Saturday before the Masters on the Sunday. Now this is very exciting uh, because basically there'll be 16 spaces to go along with the 16 Masters and what will happen is 
we uh, we will play doubles with a master as our partner. So this is unusual. I could have been paired with someone I'd never met before. Thankfully, I'd met Ed, um, and we uh, we already get along well, so it's, it's all good and good and proper and all that. But some people have literally going to be meeting because they've been paired up with someone who is a master. So this is a really cool idea of getting new people into the hobby, new people making friends with some of the better players in the league, and of course getting some tips and advice potentially from those people in the league. So the deal is. I get a 400-point army. I have to stick with that 400-point army for the rest of the weekend. Um, Ed, my partner, um, he has to come up with another 400-point army that uh, fits in with it. I think it's got to be Green Alliances or at least allied in some way, shape or form. And uh, we double up for the first day playing uh, a few games. And then the second day, he goes off, does his own thing with a different army, and it's all great and wonderful and delightful. But I carry on with my 400-point army, and I have to win. And if... I do really well on the second day. We combine my scores with the scores on the previous uh, the doubles tournament and somehow a winner of some kind will be worked out. It's all very exciting. So this is cool. This is cool. I, I'm really, really looking forward to this tournament. Um, so uh, that's that's the general gist. 800 points. So we'll find out a little bit about the army in a second. But I'll just run you through uh, some final uh, little, little things because there's um, four games on the first day, four games on the second day. And I just want to double check. There is no, uh, there is, there, there are, okay, there. Yes, yeah, so the, there are red alliances allowed, so we might get some shonky alliances on the first day. Um, but that's really interesting. So um, we've got the, the, and it's all just drawn from the um, Masters, uh, not the Masters, the Matched Play Guide. So it's all very exciting. We're all looking forward to playing this. So with that in mind, let's crack on and have a look at the uh, armies involved and then we'll maybe have a look at the riddles in the dark later Ask build me an army worthy of so of course uh, there was a bit of thought uh, throwing back and forth between Ed and myself about what we should take to this tournament Ed basically said to me you go with what you fancy I'm more focused on the Masters. I want to make sure that I'm prepared for that. And, uh, you know, he's he's quite happy to just have fun with me uh, for the doubles day. So that's for Great. I thought, okay, brilliant. But what I said, I really want to see you do things with fell beasts. Ed is famous for uh, taking the triple fell beast, the flying circus, as it's called, um, to great success over many years. So he's he's just excellent at um, using fell beasts um, and uh, the Witch King, and I think he used to use the Undying and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I'm I really wanted to see him doing that. So I initially thought, can we squeeze in Sauron, a fell beast, something else? And I was very close to convincing Ed to do that, but uh, then I found out that I had to keep my set of my one half of the army for the second day. So I thought mm, maybe I shouldn't just go with Sauron as much fun as that might end up being. So I said, "Well, okay, let's let's. Start. Well, what else can I? I want you to see you doing a Witch King. So what are armies Witch Kings thinking? Well, Witch Kings at Pelennor Fields. I've got a Moran and Orc army. I don't think I've ever used it on the podcast. I might have used it." A- couple of times that there's an, uh, a battle report kicking around on YouTube from uh, uh, from a while back it must have been six months ago or so now that that probably is 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 the only time I've actually really used it in in anger so I thought right let's crack on let's get some um, gothmog in action 
got a lovely gothmog, painted them up, Moranans, uh, got all that. So I said to Ed, okay, how about Moranans? You've got Moranans. Let's give you a Witch King, give me some Moranans. What do we do with the rest? I've got gothmog, I've got some Moranans. And I could see his mind sort of clicking into action and thinking, right, okay, this is what we've got to do. He did a lot of maths and he worked out that this is the army that we should be taking based on what some of the basic stuff that we had. So this is what we had. Witch King. Nine Moranans with spear and shield. Three Warg riders with shield and throwing spears. Three Orc trackers and three Morgul stalkers. And I love this because I would have usually just gone... Fine, three, uh, just go 12 Moranans. That's what initially uh, we came up with, and then we had to do some jiggling around because we were short by, I think, three points. And I just love the way some people build lists. I've never seen anyone do this. I wouldn't have bothered. I'd be like, oh, well, two points off or whatever it was. Let's just do this. We had to juggle around people, warg riders and different warbands and all this sort of stuff. But in the end, he goes, okay, let's just ditch three Moranans, put three Morgul Stalkers in, and that rounds up to exactly 400 points. Uh, that is because the Witch King is 235 points in this combination. So it is the Witch King with everything. That's it. He's got three might, 20 will, three fate, crown of Morgul, uh, a fell beast, just a normal one, not an armoured one or anything, and a Morgul blade. So 235 points of Witch King Madness. Very excited about that. Uh, I'm going to see Ed, I hope, doing some really cool tricks with that. So that's very exciting. And then, you know, trackers to encourage them to come to you, maybe a little bit, the only good shooting in the Orc army, basically. Some wild riders for mobility, Morgul Stalkers, strength four, two attacks, bit weak on defence, but they have Stalk Unseen, so they can be a little bit better. And then just nine, a solid nine Moranan Orcs. That's cool. That's the Hero of Legend, Witch King. 400 points exactly for one half of the army. I'm not going to take that half to the second day. And I have debated this, but it feels like I'm just not going to be able to use the Witch King to its greatest benefit, I don't think. Maybe we can Maybe we can see. I don't know. I might be able to change my mind. But I think I'm going to stick with uh, the second day army, which is mine. This is going to be led by Gothmog with a Warg and Shield. 11 Moranans with Spear and Shield. And then one Moranan with a Banner and Shield. Then we're going to have uh, Cardouche. The Firecaller, which I've painted up especially for this event. Very excited about using Cardush for the first time. I've heard lots of good stuff about Cardush. Uh, picked it up in Made to Order a while back now. And um, I know Jasmine, who has been on the podcast before many times, has had great success with Cardush. I think managed to do some real damage to me uh, one time with Cardush, sniping stuff away, which is really cool. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to use that. Although in a practice game with this half of the army, 400 points against some elves, Cardush uh, rolled nothing but twos the entire time. I tried to channel a fury, uh, spent two, two will points, got a two and a one, spent my mind on the thing so I couldn't do it. Then uh, with the remaining one, I rolled a one uh, for the fury, killed three orcs in a row, rolled ones for each of them to get just one of the d3 uh, will you get back if you sacrifice an orc. And then with each of those will points, I rolled a one or a two to uh, either do fury or the flame burst. So yeah, not not so great so far, Kardush, but hoping that uh, when I use him in the tournament, he'll be a bit better. So Kardush, Kardush, uh, Hero Fortitude as well, exciting stuff. Five trackers along with him. So that brings the total to eight trackers in the army. Uh, so eight bows, not bad for, for a doubles. And then two Warg Riders with shield and spear and one Warg Rider with a shield. So that's the army. Honestly, I don't really have a great deal of strategy and thought behind this, but I can see what Ed has done. Ed has said, I have said to Ed, 
Moran and Orcs, I've got Gothmog, I've got a Kardush, let's bring a Witch King because I want to see you do that. And Ed has gone, right, okay, let's balance the rest of it out. We've got six cavalry, so we've got the, the you know mobility. We've got eight trackers, so we've got the bows if we need them. We've got a solid... 20, what is it, 12, 24, something like that, 24 models um, for the the main battle line, including three Morgul Stalkers, which I'm intrigued about how they work out. So this, you know what, I'm, I'm really excited about this, actually. This could be really cool. This is the most normal battle line army a mixed mixed sort of arms army that i've ever used uh you know i always have some sort of fancy weird trick in an army like you know just sauron and a catapult and then a few other bits or just a sauron and a witch king and a few other bits or you know durin and 18 uh, hearthguard or durin and five uh, shield wardens and 15 hearth you know these sort of things that are all kind of oh look i see your army it's cool because it's got that a lot this time i've got a mixed mixed bag so this is really cool i've never done this before so hopefully we'll have the mobility to capture objectives we'll have the bows to encourage people to come towards us and to a sniper people and we'll have a solid solid line of spear shields and a banner and uh, a couple of magicy people to do magicy stuff with and gothmog to do other things like give people bonuses I I am really excited to see Ed teach teach tutor me in how to use this army. I I expect I'll be doing not very much uh, on the first day and just watching him at work, but I'm really looking forward to it. And then hopefully second day he'll be able to tutor me between games uh, knowing who I'm playing against. That's the whole idea of this tournament. There's even extra few minutes uh, sort of catered for between games so that once people know what they're playing up against, the master can give the uh, give the noob some some ideas of what we should be doing so i love this idea for the tournament i love the concept it's so cool i can't wait to give this a go um so without much further ado um i'm gonna head off to the tournament but first it is time for riddles of the dark So this is the part of the podcast in which you hear a clip from either the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit films, and then basically you get in touch and tell me what uh, the next word is, or what the next sentence is, and who speaks those immortal lines from those films. So last time on the podcast, which was episode 18, um, we heard this glorious clip.
Now you've been getting in touch on entmootpodcast at gmail.com to, uh, to let me know not just about the riddle in the dark, but a couple of things. So I'm, I'm going to just have a run through some questions. Um, there is a, the, first, there's a one thing, uh, Russell uh, got in touch. Thank you very much, Russell. You said you can't seem to find me on Patreon um, uh, by name or by, under Entmoot. Uh, just search Battle Games in Middle Earth on Patreon if you're interested. Uh, more on that later, but generally it's a way of supporting me and I really appreciate, Russell, you going to all that effort to email me to to hand over your hard-earned coin to uh, to support me. I've actually just invested in some uh, microphones for um, um, for battle reports, so hopefully, hopefully uh, it's not going to waste. Anyway, uh, back to Riddles in the Dark. Um, oh, no, hold on, we've got another email about something else. This is from Chad Dickinson. Hi, he says, hello Harry from North Carolina. Hi Chad. Um, says, my friend and, my, uh, and I love the podcast and your slow grow league idea. We wondered if you had your rules and scoring in writing that we could use. We want to grow the community of SBG here in Asheville, North Carolina. Thanks for any information you could send to us. Absolutely, uh, Chad. I will email you back with the details. And if anyone else is interested in the rules to the Slow Grow League, which are on one of the previous podcasts, um, you can hear me read through some of them in the first part of the Slow Grow League um, episodes, um, which, God, must have been around episode 10. Um, but I will happily email you if you get in touch at gmail.com. I'll send you those uh, over in a few minutes. Chad, thanks very much. And, and you get an insight to when I'm actually recording this, which is always delightful. Uh, OK, so uh, let's go back to the riddles in the dark this is what we really really want so the uh, who is speaking the next lines in the podcast i'm going to read through the emails and uh, disguise it so uh, if, if if they're correct. Alex Wright has been in touch from across the pond as a terrain maker to Wright Terrain Studio, Wright with a W, and is a big fan of Entmoot. Thank you very much, uh, Alex. Um, a shout out to your stuff. Uh, it's nice painting while listening to your tournament adventures, he says. But he, he says he also always listens intently to the riddles in the darks and finally thought he'd join on the fun. And he says, I believe the answer is this one. And guess what, Alex? You're absolutely bang on the money. We'll reveal the answer in a couple of seconds. Uh, who else is this? We've got William Andrews. Oh, lengthy email. Here, William. Uh, he says, after being bitterly beaten by the last riddle in the dark, you know, the one we had three months to get. <laughs> yes, it, it should have been a lot easier if you had three months. Uh, the one where I watched the entire six film editions to try and solve it and still couldn't manage it. Well, I'm sorry, William. Um, I was pleasantly surprised to find that I had managed to get this one fairly quickly, he said. However, do not be saddened. Just so happened that I'd started started watching the film in question the other night and didn't get far into it so naturally this led me to knowing the answer who speaks next why of course it's blah 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 blah. we'll find out in a second but yes well done to you william i love the podcast keep up the great work and i'm looking forward to season two and your future videos as well thank you very much uh yeah season two's kind of kind of started this is season two (laughs) we're already underway so thank you very much um uh, also oh yes he's actually suggested um He's actually suggested a very good idea, which I may well use later on uh, once I start r- running out of uh, running out of ideas for Riddles in the Dark. So, thank you very much, uh, William, for that idea. I should definitely, definitely uh, have a go at that. Uh, brilliant idea. I never even thought of that. And you uh, are going to be listening, thinking, what, 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 what's William talking about? What's William talking about? William Andrews, message him, message him. Find him on Facebook, message him and f- ask him his questions and you might get an insight. No, don't do that. That's really mean. OK, so uh, Toby Rain- Brainwood's been in touch on uh, Facebook. He says he thinks he knows what the answer is. Oh, Toby, you're not quite right, though. You say, is it the hobbits in The Prancing Pony? 
I can't remember what they say and when during the films. Toby, thank you very much for getting in uh, touch, but you've fallen into my deliberate trap. This was actually a deliberate trap and everything. Uh, I'll reveal the answer in a few seconds for you. Tom Hawker. Uh, this is, uh, uh, he says, I'm back. I'm all caught up uh, after listening to all the podcasts. Thank you very much, Tom. Uh, looking forward to seeing you at the next, um, next podcast. Uh, I don't know when that will, uh, sorry, the next tournament. I don't know when that will be, hopefully very soon. Tom, uh, you get it right. Well done, Tom. Well done, Tom. Thanks very much for getting in touch. Who else have we got? We've got Roy, uh, sorry, Rob Conroy, something Irish, perhaps. <laughs> I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it. M-A-I-G-H-E-O-C. How would you pronounce that? Uh, get in touch. Uh, Rob, uh, thanks very much for getting in touch. Apologies uh, for uh, for being mean about your second name. It's uh, probably a, a delightfully uh, traditional name from wherever you're from. Uh, you said finally got one, though. I've been trying to answer these riddles almost since the start, but so far have never solved it in time to get an answer in. Well, I'm really glad you got this one. And yes, you are right. You are dead on the money. Uh, well done to you, Rob. Uh, thanks very much. And now to Dan Broxholm now. Dan, uh, I think you've gotten many of them correct, and you're uh, you're certainly not out of the ordinary here. You say hopefully catch you at the Battle of By Walsall, um, not it's actually Walsall uh, near uh, Birmingham. Uh, By Walsall, By Water, it's all very clever. Battle of By Walsall, I'll be there in a few podcast time, so check out for that one. Uh, looking forward to. Uh, I think I've met you in the flesh, have I? I don't know, Dan. Maybe I have. I meet so many people in the tournaments. Anyway, Dan, uh, you get it correct, and of course the answer is the person who speaks next is Gandalf, and he's says mind if i join you and this is from the hobbit uh not the lord of the rings so uh toby you fell into the trap but this is definitely the prancing pony but it's uh thorin talking to uh, thorin arriving at the prancing pony in the hobbit i think it's the second hobbit film i can't remember which one it is now uh, but either way this is the clip <laughs> you go the wonderful sonorous tones of sir ian mckellen at the end there uh, hopefully you uh, fell into the trap that i set for you hoping a lot of people would think of like sarah uh, not sarah man uh, strider or or uh, maybe the hobbits generally um, in the lord of the rings fellowship of the ring but no no it was it was sir ian mckellen it was gandalf the gray uh, so now on to this week's uh, riddle this is the small clip so all you have to do is let me know who you think speaks next and what they say. Yes, that's right. Yes, very, very short this week and a little bit garbled. Um, a little bit painful sounding. Um, this is the clip again, uh, so all you need to do is tell me who speaks next. All right, then, if you think you know the answer, get in touch uh, with the podcast. Entmootpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. Entmootpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send in a message to uh, the Facebook page, or you can find me on Facebook, probably. Um, search, search me out, send me a message. I'll uh, endeavour to send it to my email address. But uh, I always check my email address just before I make a podcast. So the best place to send it to is absolutely entmootpodcast at gmail.com. 
gmail.com and I will reveal uh, the answer in the next podcast which should be a few weeks time uh, Desolation of Stockport so um, I think that's the first week of April so uh, a couple of weeks couple of weeks before the next uh, the next podcast uh, sorry no not the first week of April uh, th- uh, second week of March so actually not not as, not as many weeks as I think anyway that's when the answer's coming up so uh, that's the next tournament that was the Riddles in the Dark now it seems about right time to head down to Nottingham to 7th City Collectibles and Gaming Centre uh, run by Barney Menzies to the tournament Master and Commander. Named after a film I absolutely love, but let's go on an adventure with Sir Ed Ball in a doubles tournament and then off be let loose on my own for 400 points on day two. Here, Mr. Robo, where are you off to? Don't stop, I'm already late. Late for what? I'm going on an adventure. Oh, it's all very exciting. We're uh, just deploying in the first game of the doubles section of the uh, the Masters tournament. The Masters and Commanders, or something like that? Masters and Commanders, yes. Yes, and, and Ed, my doubles partner for the day, has already been tutoring me many things about deployment and trackers and all these exciting things. Um, and we've, we've deployed an army in a very unusual manner. Um, I've never done anything quite like this. We're playing Clash of Champions, so we have to assassinate heroes, and our leaders, Gothmog and the Witch King, have to do all the work, basically, and get more kills than the opponent's leaders. So we've got, like, a weird flanking manoeuvre thing going on. One warband is deployed on the centre line, the other warband quite far back. What's the thoughts behind this, Ed? I haven't got a clue. Uh, No, so I've never played the scenario before, um, and the way in which it needs to be deployed means that uh, we won the roll off and had to select one half of the table so our half of our army have to go down first um, given the scenario it's a very kind of um, diff- not difficult it's interesting it's interesting it's the brand new uh, scenario four from the, the uh, doubles in the uh, match play guide match play guide yeah the brand new match play guide um, so we've kind of uh, hedged our bets a little bit um, by almost defending, uh, deploying the first half kind of defensively and then seeing how the other, uh, the first half of the opponent's army was deployed then kind of taken a bit of a gambit. And, and the gambit, because the, the, the first half was Suladan and a load of archery guys with some serpent guard in support and the other half is half trolls and now we've got a lot of half trolls in our face. Is this a good thing or have we cocked up? It remains to be seen, however, it might work in our favour, given, again, we might lose the, the, the whole half of the army, however, playing the scenario could work out in our favour, because it's a kill race between leaders, uh, and we have a Witch King on Felbeast and a Gothmog, and they have a Suladan and a Mahud King. And there's one thing I know, Harry, it's that a Witch King with 20 will has got more will than a Suladan and a Mahud King. So we kill those dear darlings and then have a Witch King go, oh, look, here's some Harad boys and do some chopping. And then that's the scenario win. Exactly. Right, let's see what happens. Uh, we'll come back after the battle and uh, see how that strategy pans out. 
So game one of the Masters and Commanders, uh, and it's not gone too badly, Ed. We'll have a chat with our opponents in a second, but the plan kind of worked out. Yes. Excellent. Right, so uh, let's just say, let's say we've got Jakob. Uh, you're the master, Jakob. Um, can you just tell us your half of the list? So my half of the list is the surprisingly thematic, especially for me, uh, Serpent Horde with Suladan, Raza, some Serpent Guard, Harajim Warriors with bows, uh, and few cavalry models. And the other half of the list? Um, yeah, also quite thematic. It's a Mahud King and a Mahud Chieftain, and then uh, eight half trolls and five warriors with spears. So when you saw our army, uh, did you did you sort of think that you were having the upper hand? How did you fa- think you were going to fare in Clash of Champions, Jakob? Well, you have a Witch King, so we knew that uh, we need to get some luck and to get some resists on sixes to, to have a chance, and that's how it ended. Yeah, basically, we're, uh, you didn't get any of the resists, and um, our plan, we, we kind of whittled the, the Suladan and the, uh, the King down, in particular, the, the Mahud King, to, in order to get those, those early kills. Once we got the King, it felt like it was almost all done. It did a little bit, yeah. We couldn't, uh, couldn't get Suladan up, uh, or rather in the right place, to, get, um, to sort of tie down the Witch King and, and deal with him. But uh, he's he's just very flappy. He gets around. He does get around a bit. Um, and the Raza's strategy. There was a, there was a very close thing where the Witch King only had one might left, so only had one strike left. Raza, who was clearly uh, gunning for the Witch King and and had the special rules that give him an extra two uh, two fight value against the Witch King, he would have done a really good job against the Witch King had that worked out, Jakob. What can I say? Yes, he, he would, but didn't happen, and Raza didn't even get to fight. Yeah, he, he, I think the way that we deployed was actually worked out really well for us, with the Witch King right at the front, uh, in the, on the right-hand side, against your, uh, your half-trolls, and we managed to deplete the half-trolls, with a fair few lucky combats, to be fair, winning against the half-trolls, um, and ended up depleting that side enough, getting the king, and then just being able to dodge Raza. Yeah, you were able to bring your numbers to bear a little bit more over there before Soledad and all the Harad made it up. Um, I was hoping the half-trolls would be a little bit more resilient, but there was a lot of traps, a lot of trap models and, and a lot of dead half-trolls. Yeah, and, and Moran and Strength 4 against the half-trolls, it, it, probably one of the better troops to fight against. Yeah, even with the two wounds, you, you're still doing pretty well with the Moranans. They're, they're very good, they're very good. Yeah, it, it worked out rather well. Um, is there anything, Jakob, you think you should have done differently? Yes, rolled more sixes, probably. <laughs> or taken something else for the specific scenario. I think in other scenarios it would be a bit better. Yeah, yeah, Clash of Champions was really a tough matchup against the Witch King and a Gothmog and uh, all the magic, Ed. Uh, it, it felt like our magical superiority won us out the game, really. Uh, it's a facet of the game which, if you're able to bring to bear and the opponent's got nothing in response, it gives you that tactical edge and gives you options uh, and options are always good things. There was a really cool move that you uh, you settled on in the very last turn, which ended up meaning that we got the 9-0 rather than a slightly less vic- uh, big victory. Um, you, you used a Witch King dismount off the Fell Beast. Yeah, it's something I've done before as long back as 2016 at Articon 1. Um, if sometimes a 60mm base is a little too big, you have the option to not have a 60mm base and still achieve the same effect. So uh, dismounting off the Fell Beast into Suladan, not great, but he was trapped, he was transfixed. So it meant we got extra attacks and ended up killing him in the end, which was great. 
Yes, and, and it worked out really well because I, I was thinking, oh no, we can't do this. This is scary. There was a very last turn in the game. But luckily, to be fair, if, if w- the one role uh, that, that settled that death of Sullivan was the was the we drew the, the roll off the, uh, it was both fight five so it was a down to a roll off and it went our way luckily which did mean that we ended up winning yeah having him be transfixed helped as well because if it went poorly uh, even if there were additional turns he's transfixed he's not hitting us which means um, we're still at that point would have been double yeah. which was great and we had loads and loads of will left. So there we go, victory 9-0 to us. Uh, the master is, is definitely teaching me lots. And uh, now it's lunchtime, and then a couple more doubles games to go. Start of game two, uh, we won 9-0 against Tom and Jakob. So this is a confusing scenario. It's duel of wits, and I don't really know how we set this one up because what a thing you're trying to kill is secret to me, and a thing I'm trying to kill is secret to so, you. So it's a very interesting scenario where, as a doubles partners, you uh, individually select one of the enemy heroes to track down and kill. You can't share that information with your partner, but you could, by coincidence, have selected the same one. So you need to go hero hunting and then also have a fight in the middle. Yes, because we need to be within six inches of the middle at the end to get points in some way, shape or form. Uh, there are points for having our heroes in the middle who the enemy force are trying to kill. So, there's, so this is an unusual one because we've got to simultaneously protect the, the heroes we think are being targeted, get them into the bit where everyone's going and also kill heroes that they're trying to protect because they probably know which sort of heroes they think we're going to go for. Yes. I have never played it before. It's going to be difficult. I read it about 20 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. And we're against Goblin King with Gollum and a lot of... I think it's 20-something goblins in his warband. We're also against another Mahud King with some half-trolls. But we can kill them. We can kill those, so that's not really a problem. Yes, because again, they're, they're lacking in magical resistance. Yes, and even better, the Goblin King... His blubbery mass doesn't work against magic. And Gollum doesn't gain any advantages against a and, Witch King. And even if Gollum puts the ring on, the Witch King can see him and gain benefits from fighting him in combat while he's got the ring on. So it's uh, strong choices, basically. So, yeah, we're also deploying um, on opposite halves of the board. Currently, uh, the, the opposing forces' goblins are being deployed very close to mine. I've put there's happens to be a square of defend, defensive barricades there for Gothmog and Kardush and some Moranans to hide behind. Have I done the right thing there? Well, I hope so. We <laughs> will find out. So the, the main strategy is what? Because we can't, can't really come up with a strategy and say, well, if you go for X hero, then everything will be fine because otherwise we'll be punished by the TOs for sharing for, information about which target we've chosen. For cheating, yes. We wouldn't want to do that. No, that would be terrible. Um, what's the strategy? I don't know. I'll let you know after the game. All right, we'll, ki- we'll kill heroes. That's the strategy. After the game, we'll find out if it went well. So, uh, game two. It's a clash of wits and, my gosh, were the wits clashed. Um, <laughs> a very confusing one, Ed, because we have to kind of not cheat by saying let's kill that which made it very difficult you chose to kill uh, the Mahood King and I chose to kill Gollum and we killed neither which uh, meant a very long game and, and no success but we didn't really kill many heroes in the end anyway no there were no heroes dead 
So it is. No, no, Gothmog was dead, but Gothmog didn't count for anything in this. In the end, that's true. But it, it became quite a different, difficult one, Aaron, didn't it? Because uh, your goblin king and his massive amount of about twenty or something uh, goblins deployed very close to me. So did uh, so did Matt's Mahood. So it meant that you were kind of really close to to me at the start and bearing down. Yes, it was. I mean, uh, first turn the. I had the weight of numbers in goblins. Uh, March sent forward, hoping to try and trap his his force in the corner, and the Mahood come up round the back. Hopefully, um, like I say, my target was Kardush, and so was uh, Matt's. So we was trying to trap him basically, but. Uh, you fought back. The first turn was a uh, sort of bad one for us. Yeah, I think that the first turn I decided sending Gothmog and the Wargs and the Moranans against the Goblins, and by God, was it a Goblin bloodbath? <laughs> uh, yes, it was. I think you won every fight. Um, I think all but one, and in the one, one that you, you failed to wound. So, and I think it was something like ten goblins off the first turn. Oh yes, ten goblins first turn, uh, doing no damage. Um, it was a big hit for me. Um, mm. Maybe if we could have done. Mm, Went a few fights there, pushed up a bit more. You know, it could have changed things around, but yeah, it was a hard one. It, it was a hard uh, game, Matt, wasn't it? Because um, you're, you're, I, I guess, with you, you had the advantage of, of both pretty much making it clear that Cardush was well. Ed basically said, "Choose Cardush," mm. and so you, you didn't have the kind of concern that Ed and I had over the number of heroes to kill and also the obviousness of the choice. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we had a lot of uh, low fate, low will heroes as well, which was quite good for an army that can sort of do magic. So if we had a long game, say eight turns, chances are the Witch King could probably have literally just black darted everyone to death he could might have wanted to kill, which would be quite a scary prospect. Yeah, of course. And uh, it, it did end up being me kind of castling up in my quarter and everyone mobbing me. Was the I guess because Kardash was your target, you were just decided, right, we're going to go for him. Yeah, it was, it was quite a tricky game because the way the movement worked, both Ed's army and my army basically didn't do anything. I think Ed had one turn of combat with his troops. Uh, I had sort of two. Um, whereas the Goblin Town and your half of the Mordor sort of did the brunt of the, the heavy lifting. Well, we did we did a decent job sort of hiding Cardus. He kept sneaking around the edges. He didn't. I think he only got one flame burst off, which worked and did kill a Goblin and free the Witch King for what I guess was a hail mary move of right. Let's. Get the get the Mahud King in the last turn, which almost worked, but you ended up winning the roll. Yeah, I managed to roll the six, and then so did you guys, and then it was came down to the fifty-fifty. I think it was quite a good game in terms of the fifty-fifties because I think they basically fell about half and half. But it was one of those ones where it's a bit awkward because you got the ones in the first half and then we got the ones in the second half mm. and often the ones in the second half of the game can be a lot more meaningful because that's when people are lower on might lower on fate things might just die mm. if things go badly whereas at the start you might sort of be able to tank it but it did feel like when once the, the first few turns had gone uh, gone, um, and the, the, my, my Mordor force was churning through goblins it felt Oh right, okay, we're we're really winning here. But then once everything started clashing and mixing up where the heroes were involved, it became a much more of an uphill battle. Yeah, I mean I think if you went back and sort of looked at the showreel of the game, the absolute all stars were definitely the warg riders. Because they were essentially because the goblins are fight two, they feel like sort of war spear lanced up fight five elves. They're just like quite powerful, um, especially against goblins. Mm. Um, and then after the early game when the uh, half trolls got in, half trolls who knew they were actually quite good, started putting the pain on the Harry's Mordor force. Yeah, mm. absolutely, yeah. So you, you're right, the Wild Riders, and, and the early, because of the early movement as well, it meant they could wrap around and cause all sorts of issues with the goblins. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just 
yeah, Moranen's are very good at killing goblins. Yeah. Very, very good at killing goblins. And very good at not dying to goblins as well. What do you think to the scenario? Because, I mean, I, I think it's the sort of thing that actually is kind of counterintuitive to the whole idea of doubles play, I think. I don't think I liked it because the whole point of doubles is you're working as a team and this is your kind of meant to not do that otherwise you're cheating yeah I, I mean I liked I like conceptually the idea of this sort of like secret secret objective yeah, the problem with it is the deployment is absolutely terrible um, because what happens is if you alternate deployments like you did this is always going to be exactly how the deployment goes one of you is going to deploy in a corner then we get to deploy next and we go next to you and then your partner is just going to have to schlep it across the board feels a bit like storm the camp in that regard where you just if you lined, if you were lining up in the middle or maybe starting sort of half on or sort of three quarters on something like that I I think this would be a really great scenario mm. because you'd actually get to play with all your models but ultimately like Ed only got to play with the Witch King yeah that was I, literally it I was going to say actually and I'll, I'll talk to Ed about this that was one of the main advantages we had in the sense that. The, the biggest hero on the table was one that could move 12 inches a turn and could be joining the fray very quickly. Witch King's good. Yeah. Magic, good. Yeah. Low will, no magic, enemies, bad. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoy the race. Uh, Matt was quite good to point out that maybe 20 will is a few wills too many. <laughs> we spent seven will. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But um, in, in the end, we, we managed a 2-1 victory. Um, we broke the enemy and we both had banners so really it was just down to the breaking there was a, there was a sense at the end that, that um, Matt felt that we could probably get another turn in if we went quickly um, and so that you know as it, as it gets sometimes in a tense game uh, it becomes a bit fraught and people say oh you know slow playing and all this I don't think we were actually playing deliberately slow I certainly wasn't it was just in a doubles game there's a lot more discussion to have between people I think um, it's fair to say that the match play guide that's come out recently is brand new. It's probably the first tournament I'm aware of where we've used those scenarios, and the scenarios are very well, well written. And there's a particularly this one takes a lot of tactical nous, so there is that back and forth, um, which which happens. And and doubles games do take longer. Um, yeah. I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the scenario. Um, I think. At my next doubles tournament, I might read the doubles scenarios from the match play guide prior to attending. Um, and building the army, yeah. Because they're, they're, um, they're quite good and actually put a, a fairly decent tactical sort of level uh, there that needs to be overcome if you want to sort of do well and not get steamrolled, you know. I've got goblins, I've got a mummock, I'm going to walk all over you. Um, yeah. Well, it's worked out well so far. We've got two wins under our belt uh, going into the third game. I mean, and our VP difference isn't great. We've not got a, a massive number, so we're probably not on table one. How do you fancy our chances going into the last table? Do you have an idea of who we might be playing? No. I haven't read the other four scenarios that we might be playing, so I haven't got a clue. Nor do I. Let's find out in a few minutes' time exactly what's going to happen. So uh, the final game, top table, top table gaming here with Ed. Uh, uh, we've got a line of Durin and Vault Wardens in the middle in a weird scenario called Total Conquest. You're deploying in the middle. Alistair King is deploying in the middle with his dwarves. This is a, a frightening prospect. There's a lot of Defence 9 there. Are you okay with this? So what I'll have to do to start with, Harry, is just correct you. There's four games today, not three. So it's not the really? final, it's not the final game. Oh, I thought it was. And, and unsurprisingly, it's three o'clock. It's three o'clock. Unsurprisingly, I read this about ten minutes ago. It's a domination variant with a Maelstrom kind of deployment for some armies. Me. Uh, and then other armies and forces set up in the middle and do some fighting. Uh, they are defense nine. 
which is tough. And strength four. Which is strong. Uh, and we are strength three and four. Mm, which is not so great. Uh, we do outnumber them, though. And we have cavalry. Uh, yeah, maybe, for a while. Some cavalry for a while until they get killed. So there's three and throwing spears. But crucially, we do have a witch king and a fell beast with a lot of magic and will. For now. For now. So this, this could go one of many ways. Uh, it, at this point, we might win. We might lose. But we also might draw. We could draw. Well, we're not going to get a draw. All right, let's find out what happens after this uh, game. And hopefully my guys all come on at the same time and all in. <laughs> so uh, the final, uh, well, third game, third game of the day, Ali. And um, you're leading Joe and uh, your army, Dwarves and Rohan, against the Witch King and all that stuff. And um, this is an unusual scenario. We had to start in the middle. The Witch King in the middle with Durin. This is Total Conquest. Scenario 2, page 33 of the book. I'm not going to read through it all, but Ali, do you think it was a good thing that Durin ended up in the middle against the Witch King as opposed to another way around, i.e. Gothmog in the middle against Durin? Um, Yeah, it was probably the ideal for both of us in the sense that neither of us got uh, massively screwed over and then neither of us also had a massive advantage. So it's probably the fairest way to begin the game. Yes, and then from then on, we kind of proceeded to be very lucky in terms of killing your half guard, uh, sorry, your uh, vault wardens, but then also losing most priority roles, which was a difficult one to manage. So yeah, basically the game went in the completely opposite way it should do when you think about it, is the dwarves died really easy and couldn't kill much, uh, but then they were quite good at manoeuvring around the board and won priority a lot. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a weird one, and the, the, the fact the, the scenario sort of meant that my contingent of the army came on really far away because um, uh, it's a maelstrom of battle deployment they're, they're slowly slopping up the board your half of the army uh, sorry uh, Joe's half of the army the Rohan contingent obviously not a bad one to be slepping up the board because it engaged quickly yeah the manoeuvrability of the Rohan and the ability to quite easily kill Moranans when they charged pretty much saved my uh, dwarven bacon in that game and sort of helped us in the scenario Um because of where we won priority lot, we could stop the Witch King easily getting onto the Rohan guys and getting a hell, which then basically meant that Rohan could be Rohan and do Rohan things. What do you think we did badly in this game? Because we lost 7-1. I think you used your might too much, because it, it was pretty early on. If we won priority, uh, we were always going to be moving first, and you couldn't challenge it. And we also had spare might even for a long time, even if we lost priority to get the hurt move uh, off for free yeah Gothmog spent two might to up a two from a four to uh, to get on the board which I think was a bad idea yeah yeah and um, I like the witch king used some might where I personally wouldn't have to like kill a to kill a random uh, dwar- warden yeah which I mean at the time you didn't know that all your manings were going to kill the bot warden so but um possibly thought that they weren't actually going to go down but yeah I, I actually agree and, and th- th- those I'll be happy to say were both Ed's decisions and I think probably killing Vault Wardens was a good idea but maybe if we ha- knew where we were going to end I think I think Ed was hoping that a few things would happen i.e. I we'll get a Durin kill off fairly uh, much quicker than we did I, uh, but we kept losing some priorities which didn't go away which meant that we couldn't get the magic off which meant that the combat against Durin just took far too long yeah, yeah no it's one of those weird ones where I personally wouldn't it's not necessarily a wrong decision as it panned out in male theme um, but you don't know how dice are going to roll until you roll them 
And then it was a weird one where it was like the Witch King could have died really early a couple of times, but I couldn't really roll higher than a four or five with uh, Durin with about 18 dice initially. And then it meant that the Witch King got away without being trapped. But um, yeah, no, it was a weird game in terms of just how things weren't happening as we would expect them normally absolutely it was a, f- a, f- a fantastic game though to play against uh, Ali again and you, that means you're cruising up to table one we're sort of heading down to mid-table obscurity thank you yep. cheers final game of the doubles it looks like divide and conquer or no escape or some crap like that and uh, it's the fourth game I think game. it's no escape no escape Ed says um, scenario one scenario one and uh, I have deployed slightly off centre on what the opposite side of the board Imrahil and some other guys have deployed closer to us but not quite on the other side of the board and I'm on the one half to the right they're on the half to the left and currently Faramir and some Gondor folk are deploying behind Gothmog it's all very confusing we have a banner protect the banner yes Uh, kill Imrahil yeah kill Faramir break them so lots of points lots of things it's all very complicated we did we did okay in the last one but um, obviously things went our, didn't go our way so this one feels like it'll more rely on the witch king um, being able to manoeuvre which I think is a good thing witch king can manoeuvre here Ed which, it's all good which one? Uh, that one the Angmar one the, the witch king of Angmars yes that witch king witch king is going to do well I think it should be alright we'll see what happens but um Imrahil and knights and Forlong and things and they've all got axemen with spears behind them so could be an interesting match we'll find out how it goes in a few seconds final game of the doubles against Tom and the Gondor kind of fiefdom alliance with James Gilray as the uh, Gondori Minas Tirithi bit and Tom the master uh, with the fiefdoms alliance just summarise your list quickly for us I've got Imeril on horse with Lance leading three knights on a horse and Lance. And then I've got Forland on foot so I don't have the model mounted. And then he's got five knights on foot and five axemen to build a bit of a shield wall. And, and James Gilray uh, from Scotland, all the way from Scotland, bringing Minas Tirith. Um, so I have got Faramir on horse with Lance, uh, shield uh, and armoured horse. I've got 13 fountain court guards with shields that don't have shields, but they do have shields. Um, I've got two knights of Minas Tirith. Uh, seven Rangers and Madrill. Okay, Ed, what happened here? Because we ended up doing all right, but um, it felt like a bit of a grind there at the end. Yes, uh, we had a banner, uh, and then we also got wounds on Imrahil over time, and then the shield walls kind of rubbed up against each other, and not a lot happened. Um, effectively, uh, the low fight value of the orcs against the high fight value of the Minas Tirith and Gondor army meant that when uh, we were losing more often than not, but not dying, uh, but when we won, we were kind of killing. Kind of killing, I think, is about fair. The the when you say the the Imrahil and the, uh, uh, the you know they, we managed to take one wound off Imrahil. Do you, do you think we did try almost every turn? To, well, I think we got a black dart off pretty much every turn. Is that right? Uh, not every turn. Uh, we we had a, at least on the, on him or Faramir. Uh, so the the choice of spells was a combination of black darts and immobilizers. Um, Immobilize is okay, but it was mostly black darts. Yeah, and, and we did manage to get him off, but with with Kardash as well, we managed to get both heroes off the horses, which 
obviously meant that they were killing less, which is a good thing. But we did really struggle to, to finish uh, Imre Hill off, even though at the end he had zero might, will, fate, two wounds left. Turns out, while you're a fight six, three attack hero, Eve, so long as you've got a wound left, you're still quite good. We also made a bit of a balls up, um, I would say. Maybe not a balls up, that might be a stronger word. But bouncing up against those swan knights in the last couple of turns was quite difficult. Turns out fight five, when you run out of might on a witch king, isn't easy to overcome. It would have been better if I hadn't have forgotten it uh, when, when I charged them in the first place. Yeah, and, and uh, that was, that was a, a bit of a frustration. But in the end it worked out because we were just one-off breaking... And uh, and just managed, just by the I think the courage of one or, one wag, yes. and maybe the the fluffing dice of, of Madril and things like that, James. <laughs> so literally, um, there was Madril. No, it was four dice I had at the end of the fight to kill one orc. If I'd rolled one six, we would have what one five three. So it was actually a much closer game than I thought it would be. Um, but it was a total grind, and it went down to time. So yeah. no, it was really close and good game. It was. I, I think what we did do well, though, we castled up. There was a, a big blo- a line of uh, between a, a, a house and a, a load of walkways on a Lake Town-style board. Castled up, sensibly moving our, uh, dividing our force and pushing it back into this line, so that it took. We had plenty of time to do the magic and do all the other stuff, Tom. Yeah, I wasted most of my troops over here. They chased a few guys down at the end, and a fallen got in and killed a couple of orcs, but they wasted guard in the flank. Whereas it was just all cavalry bases in a small area, so nothing was getting through to combat. There was like four combats a turn. Yeah, if, if Forlong had been moving over there much quicker in some way or, or hadn't been tied up or, or, and with, along with his guys, I mean, he was chopping through guys much quicker than everyone else. Well, apart from the turn he got immobilised and just stood there drooling, but the turn he did actually fight killed a couple of dudes. Yeah, and, and he was left with the most might in the end. I think he ended up spending two might to kill someone at the end. Yeah, he used his last two might to win the last fight in the last thing to kill two guys, which did nearly win us the game. But not quite enough. It was close. And then you wouldn't have really done that in a situation where the game was going naturally. Obviously, we didn't finish the game naturally, so you probably... He probably wouldn't have killed those two orcs. He probably would have lost and yeah. took a couple of wounds, probably. Had we had one more turn, Mr. Ball, what do you think would have happened? Do you think we'd have lost? Because we'd have broken and we'd have been two points behind. And where would we have got those two victory points from? Imra Hill would have died. It would have been a draw. It would have been great. We hoped Imra Hill would die. Well, he'd have got fire blasted. And then he'd have got black darted. Uh, which, yeah, it would have been fine. It would have been fine. It would have been close. It would definitely. Be, I, I feel like we might have struggled to win if there was one more turn because the fire blast would have wounded on what fives, and the uh, black dart would definitely have wounded. Our, uh, probably we had loads of will left on the witch king, so maybe we'd have got one wound off. But the second wound would have been quite difficult to get. I think it would have been very close and definitely um, would have maybe swung to you if we'd definitely broken the next turn, Tom. Yeah, you wouldn't have run away because you had Fury. The Witch King's pretty good. He had, although the Witch King had, had lost a fate, so he was getting closer to death just from two knights wounding him. Yeah, it would have been much closer, but I think in the end, a 3 0 victory doesn't quite show the, uh, show the balance of, of how close it could have been if it went on a few more turns. Well done, guys. Uh, so, James, you're going to be in the singles tournament tomorrow, and Tom, you're going to be in the Masters. Tom, good luck in the Masters. Thank you very much. James, good luck tomorrow. Hopefully play you again. Cheers. So three wins and a loss with Ed uh, backing me up there. Um, 
suitably, uh, you know, keeping me company, backing me up. Uh, no, no, of course, Ed was doing the lion's share of the work. But have I learned anything throughout day number one of this tournament? Let's find out, because we've got singles with just my 400-point contingent of this Mordor army, Kardosh and Gothmog. Can I score as highly as we did as a doubles team. Let's find out. So round one of the singles half of the uh, Master and Commander tournament here. Uh, so I've, I've been left with Kardush and Gothmog and 12 Moranans, including a banner, five trackers, three wargs. And uh, I'm playing against Aaron Pullen. We played part of the uh, your matchup yesterday. Uh, you had the Goblin King and some goblins, lots of them. I think you ended up losing this lat game yesterday? That's right. We ended up losing yesterday yesterday. Um in my opinion, it, we needed one more turn and it might have swung things around, but nevertheless, it was a, a win for Harry on that one. But this time, you've managed to turn the tables and one turn would have definitely cemented your victory, but you still got a 9-6 win in Fog of War. So walk me through this. Um, you can't choose Gothmog uh, as your target, so you have to choose Kardush. I have to protect Kardush, so I'm always going to be on the back foot. How did you try and work out what you were trying to protect and what I might be trying to kill uh, in this Fog of War? Um, for the mercenary captain, um, I thought I'd protect him as I don't have to bring him on the board as long as I keep passing my uh, courage checks, um, which I did very well. I mean, near the end of the game, I did bring him on to uh, capture one of the terrain pieces. Um, but at that point, he didn't have many uh, orcs to come and contest that, so that worked out well there. Um, otherwise, I'm protecting heroes. Um, Goblin King, obviously... Um, he'll just go up front killing stuff so I've obviously got Gollum he's invisible hard to get to um, then my captain I just kept him on the back ranks really um, just out of harm's reach yeah it was it was quite a tough one for me I, I think had, I, I, was, I sort of misunderstood the, the way the uh, mercenary captain deployed I thought that if you pass your courage you had to deploy them I thought okay right I'm going to go with him so I thought on the balance of probability and if you fail the courage check I get to choose that you come on so I thought if you fail the courage check I'm going to have a good five trackers that I'm going to shoot at him constantly until, until he drops because I knew there was a little patch of field which was out in the open no cover right far away and I moved far away enough that I knew that you, th you would think right that's not going to be threatened by the actual orcs I'd hoped you'd come on a few turns earlier and I'd be able to shoot him and get him and then I might have got the win uh, because of that that would have sw swapped it a six the other way so interesting um, but maybe I did didn't make the right decision with the mercenary captain after all because if I had I made it had I known a bit uh, sort of been more clear with my understanding of how it worked I think I probably would have gone with like the goblin captain or something it might have been an easier choice I definitely agree with you there um, if it was me I would have gone for the goblin captain um, especially with your shots I think you know even with the in the ways you would have got him eventually mm. um, but unfortunately um, there was a bit of a misunderstanding about the rule with the mercenaries mm. coming on um, which quite possibly might have changed things. Um, I, I think it might have done. Um, although maybe on, on the balance of probability, I might have still thought, well, he'd probably fail his check at some point and I'll have lots of shots at him. But I, I think, yeah, I, I should have expected him to stay, stay a bit longer if I'd known how it, how it worked. But I think, yeah, Goblin Captain would have been a great choice because Cardush could have um, fireballed him a few times and he would have been gone, um, which I think was a bad move on my behalf. In the end, we've managed a 9-6 uh, victory to you, Aaron. Um, 
I just managed to get a tracker onto the one terrain piece at the end. Um, but I did, I did pull a feint early on. I put, I sent a wild rider one way and a wild rider the other way in the hope to basically dilute the numbers. Um, and that kind of worked. Yes, it did. That was a good play on your part. Um, as soon as you did that, I knew I had to split up a few goblins, uh, you know, see if we can deal with it or just harass, basically. Um, and that ploy worked on your behalf. Um, yeah, it took about seven or eight goblins out of the, the main rank, which just gave me that little bit of extra potential for, for doing stuff in the middle. It would have been nice to have some wags in the middle, I suppose. But um, Gothmog did his work, Master of Battling, working really well. I managed to win quite a lot of priority, so therefore you were the one calling the things and I was getting the Master of Battle. But then um, eventually you managed to... Was it a barge into Gothmog or was it a heroic combat in the end? Um, in the end, I was out of might um, and I think Gothmog had one left. Um, mm-hmm. And then... I was tied up by one orc, so yeah, I barged out, him out of the way, moved into the combat with um, Gothmog, and that, that sealed it there. And that was that was the, the turn that I'd, um, I'd, if I'd won that priority that turn, I'd have been fine, you'd have had no might, but I had to spend the might to, to get Gothmog on the move. So I might have been able to strike if it hadn't been that case, but either way, Aaron, it was, it was a really interesting matchup. We had a little choke point of Moranans holding the line against the goblins, and my God, did I kill a lot of goblins in the first few turns, but eventually the, the numbers uh, came to bear. I think I killed 18 in the end, so just a few off breaking you. Um, which was you know, a toughie, but um, either way, it was a really interesting uh, matchup, and uh, well done. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, I really enjoyed this game. It's always a pleasure play, uh, playing against you. Uh, enjoyed it, and uh, all the best in the upcoming tournament. Thank you. So game two, we're playing Breakthrough. Now, Breakthrough is one of the new uh, scenarios from the book, uh, the match play guide, which basically, if you imagine looking at the board, there's an objective in the centre on the opposite side of the board. That's worth four to me, and there's one opposite on the centre on my side of the board, which is worth one to me, but four to my opponent, and then two on either side, which are both worth two or one, and then there's some for breaking and kills. Against Rowan, um, Rowan, this is... uh, Fairly new to you, the system, is that right? Yeah, I only started playing at Throne of Skulls last year, but I've been trying to immerse myself as much as I can and started listening to this podcast about a month and a half ago. Oh, well, thank you very much, a listener. It's always nice to catch a listener. So, um, first of all, you saw Cardush and Gothmog and the Moranans. What did you think to the army and did you fancy your chances? I thought it would be a good matchup. Uh, it was interesting to see what Cardush would do. Never played against any Mordor army before, actually. Um, and... Gothmog on Warg was scaring me a little bit. Mm. Yeah, he has the potential because you're, of course, you've got Lurtz and uh, Gorolf and a sort of smattering of about, was it four or five berserkers and then and then Pikes and uh, a few Orochi uh, guys in there, as well as five um, bows? Six crossbows, yeah. Six crossbows. That was the scary thing for me. The six crossbows is never good, especially, as you say, with a uh, mounted hero. Fairly early on, you sort of shot through stuff to try and get to Gothmog. Uh, actually, I think, I think you were trying to get to Cardish, weren't you? And then you ended up hitting Gothmog's Wark. I think that's the only, the only good thing I did in the game was shoot at someone far away, so the first in the way would have been um, for Gothmog. Whereas if I shot at Gothmog directly, I would have had a couple of in the ways for him. And I luckily hit Gothmog and took out his Warg on turn one. Yeah, that was a really good start for you, but it's fair to say the dice didn't repay your, uh, your good start there. Uh, yeah, I think after that... There, there were not many kills on any opportunities, and the, the crossbows, I think, took out one more person off maybe 20 shots. Yeah, they didn't do great. Uh, I, I mean, I did hide stuff, and, you know, uh, I, there was a guy, but a, a wild rider, you killed the rider, but the wild 
stuck around with the courage check and and then he ended up hiding in the woods into uh, one objective so and I think for about four turns you shot three shots into him and never wounded it exactly yeah often odd 6-6-1 type thing but there we go yeah it it was I must say it was really unlucky I don't think he played anything particularly badly there were there were any there were no massive massive errors on your behalf and I I, I don't think I played it particularly excellently either because there were as you say the Gothmog was in in a place where he got shot I did pull off some nice heroic moves with Gothmog and Lurts, but I think a lot, a lot of the time, because I had priority, you were spending your might on moves. I had the Master of Battle, and all of those seemed to go my way. I don't know whether they all did. I think maybe all but one out of ten. Yeah, I think I got one heroic move roll-off and no priorities after maybe turn two. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it, was, it was pretty awful for you in terms of luck. Um, what, what did you think you would do differently if you could um, to, to try and maybe get a few different uh, VPs out of it yeah I think, I think you're right we were discussing I put my crossbows up on some terrain which could cover pretty much all four objectives uh, in hindsight perhaps I would have deployed them lower down so that I could have moved them forwards to as soon as, as soon as I was outnumbered with Lertz's warband over on the far side I could have tried to bring those over to use in combat rather than shooting with them yeah but, and, and you lost one because in the, in the attempt to go down he he fell he indeed he, he rolled the one to jump and then rolled a five to to kill him on the the one inch jump yeah so uh yeah it was uh, the, yeah at least at least one inch wasn't it but it, either way it was i, I think I, I always wouldn't worry that because especially with urukai armies you've got fight for strength four troops that are um, although they've got crossbows and they're very good at shooting um and they're good at injuring people maybe maybe they would be more useful elsewhere but you make a good point that they had a they covered all of the things and maybe if if you had a bit bit of a more fair share of the dice rolls it might have done a bit more damage i certainly would have lost that warg uh, that was taking one of the objectives and th- uh, some of the the main objective that i was aiming for i only got on the last very last turn um fully with with a with a march after kardash blasted someone out of combat and um, so it was it was an 11-0 to me but i, f- I feel like I don't. I don't think that's particularly reflective of, of the the bad luck that you had. Yeah, well, it is what it is. I had had all my good luck yesterday and was in the doubles tournament with Jay as my partner, which was a great experience, and we we ended up winning that, which was more Jay than me. Um, but yeah, we got very lucky in our final sort of game yesterday. So it's, get some bad luck today is fine. What, what do you think about the format of the tournament? Because Obviously, Jay, uh, Jay Clare, I don't know whether, whether he ever really plays doubles, um, but he probably does occasionally, but, you know, right over the rules. What's he like as a teammate? He was excellent. Um, from game one, he was taking lots of time to teach me things, talk things through with me, and basically just mentor me throughout the day. Mm. So we, we decided to take an army list, which was Isengard yesterday, um, which is the one I'm going to be using at GT next week. So it was a great opportunity to see how Jay uses Saruman to do lots of clever things and pick up a few tips. And, and I'm guessing that, that you sort of and very rare for people who are just starting the, the game to straight up team up with the, with the writer of the rules. It must be quite an experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, a couple of months ago, Barney posted on the, on the event saying that two people had dropped out and would I like it to, oh, if anyone wants tickets. So I, I asked him saying, oh, have the pairings already been done? And he said, no, they haven't. So I joked saying, oh, so there's a one in 16 chance I'd get paired with Jay. And he said, yes. So I said, all right, let's go for that. Let's, let's have one of those tickets. And then when he told me I'd been paired with Jay, I, I had to ask saying, is, 
Was that a coincidence or was it because I asked? He was like, no, it was pure luck and he made him chuckle when uh, the pairing came up as well. Well, I can imagine, I can imagine. Have you had a chance at some point today to, to ask him about the FAQ? Why, why did you change it so suddenly, Jay? Come on, why, did you, have you been pestering him about rules questions? Your, your questions from your, one of your recent podcasts was on my mind, <laughs> um, but I did not ask him about that sort of thing. <laughs> Fair enough. He was giving me enough advice in the game that it didn't think it was my place to start asking yeah. him work-related questions. Yeah, I don't want to upset him uh, if he's partnering up with you to uh, screw up your, your chances of winning the tournament. Well, either way, um, Rowan, it's been, it's been a pleasure playing with you. I, I, I wish, I wish the, the dice were a bit more reflective of the, uh, of the, of the, well, the outcome was a bit more reflective of the bad luck. But either way, it's a pleasure to play you and good luck in the rest of the games. Yeah, thank you. And thank I'm you. sure we'll have a rematch in the future. Fingers crossed. Great. So game three, and we're playing Divide and Conquer, an interesting one from the Match Play Guide. New one, lots of the new ones coming up uh, for this tournament. Um, and it involves you deploying half of your army in one corner and the other half in the uh, or an alternating warbands between an, the, that and the other corner so uh, I'm playing against Darren and Darren do you want to just run through what you've got in your army first of all yeah uh, so I've got Denethor and five guards of the fountain court seven guys with shield and spear then I've got Hurin uh, and he's got some guys with shield and five rangers and then I've got an Avenger bolt thrower with mm. swift reload so three warbands which made it interesting because you've got to deploy you've got to split up your force and your bolt thrower ended up coming on on one corner was that a deliberate choice? yes it was I didn't want to have my warbands sort of split up and I knew you had March and I thought you could potentially get at one of them the weaker one with Gothmog so I wanted my army together and I wanted the bolt thrower essentially on the other side the other thing is if I have the bolt thrower with a warband the way all the terrain was with all the houses the warband would be in front of the bolt thrower and it wouldn't be able to shoot so I wanted the bolt thrower to try and get sight lines on the centre objective while my army came from the other side so that if you didn't go for the bolt thrower I could shoot you in the back and if you did then you'd be delayed and exactly that happened so uh, I got some advice from Ed um, uh, the master tutoring me um, and he said both Gothmog the uh, the the bolt thrower and also avoid the bolt thrower so I, I was left torn at first I was sending Gothmog in to try and take out the bolt thrower on his own but I, I knew I was going to have to cop a few shots in the first instance so I ended up taking a couple of turns to move some guys in front of him to get an in the way because he was on his wild he was going a bit quicker so that basically I avoided the shots eventually I did close it down um, and it took two, two, two turns of combat and uh, heroic combat to get me into a position where I was actually able to threaten the two of the three objectives in the middle. Do you think that was the right move, first of all, sending Gothmog into the bolt for I disagree with the mighty Ed Ball, but no, I don't think it was a good idea. Um, I think you ended up spending two turns hidden behind a house with Gothmog, and then you spent the third turn with him behind friends. And then, so you took, like, sort of, and then it was the fourth turn, you charged, the fifth turn, you finished it off, and heroic combat away. So you spent five turns and a point of might. And I think if you'd spent that point of might on a march with that warband, then it would have been in the centre, and we would have had a. F- Whereas when I got to the centre then before you, which I thought was never going to happen when I, when I saw the, the sort of matchup. So I think the bolt threat is tough because it's such a psychological threat and it's going to shoot you in the back, but no, I, I don't think you should have gone for it with as much as you did. Right, that's interesting. So, because I suppose you could have eventually. What I was concerned about is no matter what happened, there's quite a lot of terrain. 
but if if I'd marched into the centre objective, you could have ended up wandering your guy, uh, your bolt thrower, onto one of the objectives and then shooting down the line at the centre. And I just thought that's going to cause all sorts of chaos. Yeah, but I think you had three wargs. I mean, you, you feared it because everyone always fears you're going to roll the six. But I mean, you saw how it shot. It didn't do that well a lot of the time. And I think you had the three wargs in Kardash's warband. You should have sent them for the bolt thrower and everything else gone for the middle. And whether Gothmog marches because if he gets there on his own before Kardash's warband comes to help him then that might be an issue but I think you could have you had all the ways to deal with the bolt thrower and even if you just sent Gothmog but then you sent his entire warband with him and all of Kardash's wargs it's like you didn't you must have spent two thirds of your army in terms of points going for a 70 point bolt mm. thrower and I think that was the issue if you're going to go for it go for it but don't overcommit to it I think yeah, I, I think that's a that's a fair criticism. But after that, when although you had did have a defensive position, which was annoying, of course, and it meant that I, I I couldn't bring my cavalry to bear, which I guess was the massive downside. But once the lions actually did clash, it felt like a really interesting game because there was a lot happening. That there were twos and fro's with the might and, and uh, uh, the master of battle and. It, it felt quite even in the middle. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it was actually starting to swing a little bit your way. If you look at how many I killed in sort of the first couple of turns, and actually a lot of your dead ball is just Kardash killing trackers, um, whereas how much you sort of killed towards the end, especially when Gothmog got into combat, um, it was quite even. And Hang on. This is going to be the last call for raffle tickets. Last call for raffle tickets. Um, I think it was really even and it was a good fight and there were some little tricksy things like when you killed Huron's horse and I rolled a 5 on the throne rider and decided to might it up to a 6 so I could charge and potentially heroic combat but then you shot a tracker in through Kardush through the combat and killed that tracker that he was now in combat with so he couldn't heroic combat that was amazing that was very lucky as well yeah. but it, 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 was a, it was a thing that I've seen happen before and I thought this. in fact I heard it on the Green Dragon podcast of, uh, of the using Corsairs in this way to stop people heroic combat so I I really, really, I was glad that worked because it, it showed that it's, it's possible to, and, it's, and it's beneficial. I think you're right, actually. Um, had there been another couple of turns, um, it would depend, obviously, where Huron's got no horse, Gothmog still has his wag, and, and is relatively untouched other than the, the might situation. So I feel like maybe we'd have an, another go. I mean, the, we didn't hear them call, call 15 minutes left, so I, might, I would have definitely got an extra, an extra objective than I did, but ended up being 7-0 in the end. It, Five nil was it? Five. Oh, it's a five nil, and it could have been five two if I if. But either way, it was a win. But yeah, definitely, if there was more turns, I've got two wargs to bring to bear. Yeah. I've got some stuff uh, still there. I I feel like I might have had the swing of it. But as you say, had I not wasted as much time early on, that would this would have all happened a turn or so earlier, and therefore I'd have had the momentum and be in the middle on the middle objective earlier, and then maybe won. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. It, we could have had that half an hour earlier, and we weren't. We, perhaps if we'd heard fifteen minutes, thirty minutes, we might have sped up a little bit at the end. But I don't think a turn would have got it. I think you needed a few more. Yeah. So I think it was that all about that going for the bolt throw at the start that sort of lost you that game. Really interesting, though, Darren. Well, excellent game. I really enjoyed every moment of it. So uh, thanks very much for the game, and good luck in the next one. Yeah, thanks very much. Cheers, mate. So the final round of the tournament uh, was a new game called Retrieval. It feels like we've got all of the match play guides, uh, guide rules uh, in uh, tournament games in this tournament. Um, and playing against Tom, um, 
we'll ha have a look at the, the, the situation for retrieval in a second, Tom. But first of all, summarise your army for me, because there's a lot of half-trolls. Yeah, there's, there's eight half-trolls, um, and the, a Mahud king on a camel, and then also a Mahud chieftain and a few guys with spears. And then I think there's one other camp, uh, just normal raider on a camel. Right, OK, and retrieval... Obviously, uh, it, it requires a bit of movement. Uh, but I've got my three wands, obviously, so I'm happy with that. But retrieval, basically, there's a relic. It's like capture, capture the flag. Yeah. So there's a relic in my table half, but divided diagonally. And then there's a relic in your table half, di sort of divided diagonally. And we have to take each other's a re relic and return it to our own side, basically. How, how did you find the, the scenario? Is this the first time you've done it? Yeah, first time I've played retrieval. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was it's it's a bit different. You still have a big fight in the middle, but the fact that you've got to move around means that you've really got to be aware um, of where everyone's going. We both got cavalry, so that was quite interesting. Um, so yeah, I very much enjoyed it. I did as well. Yeah, the cavalry is a good good point because I sent a wild ground one edge, and then actually it ended up being two Moranans over one edge as well. So. And that wag was particularly frustrating for you because it me it actually caused me to get the, the points to to get something and threaten the the end of the game. And in the end, what do you think I, I did worse? Because I, I, there's a, there's a few things that I thought I did. But it, what if you tell me improve something? What what would it be? <laughs> um, uh, so I think. Um, the wargs, uh, you, you held up the half trolls a lot, which I think was really good. But then that meant that you were, you knew they were going to die, so it kept you kept sort of putting people into them to stop them me being able to move around, which was great. However, it it did meant it did mean I think one a couple of wargs got in and they ended up dying from that. So maybe uh, spread more potentially because mm. my the half trolls work really well when they're like just in a block and you're charging them. But um, other than that, I think it was just a lot of it came down to um, there was some some looks, some good luck and some bad luck. Um, and I think the the wags were really actually scary. I, I wasn't sure what to do with them. Objective wise, they definitely they definitely put the threat uh, threat on. I think. The big downside for me is that, that you've got a big fight five front line that have got two attacks, and that's really going to be very tough for fight three models, and even Gothmog, of course, a hero that has fight uh, fight five. So I, I did feel like I, d I didn't really know how to do it, and I think shutting them down in the way that I did, so I charged into the, the half trolls once they'd formed up a line in the middle, which we both kind of knew was going to happen because of the way to snow, uh, the scenery set out there's a big empty bit in the middle yeah. and because of the way it, we, we're kind of trying to get over the corners that I, I just tried to charge them and thought I stacked up a couple of traps on one or two early early in and then called the age of the orc or time of the orc or whatever it is and then it just didn't do anything because you had five five and I didn't win any of the combats yeah once you got through a few of a bit of the line um, you were able to use your hatred of men to kill a few of the a few of the spearmen um, so that worked really well but um yeah, it was it, it was a bit of an uphill struggle for the Orcs mm. just because of the, the two attack fight five front line. Um, it was a little bit of a choke point as well. You couldn't really get round the edge that well, so you couldn't bring any numbers to bear that you had, so um, which was obviously unfortunate. Yeah, and I think what you did really well actually was really you spread them um, quite far apart. Mm. So rather than a bit, you know being one base touching another base, mm. it was one and then about an inch with a spear supporting both of them because yeah. you, you don't have very many numbers you've got like 15 models or something yeah, like that yeah. so you, you managed to support everyone or you had the choice to support everyone at the very least but you took up a large portion of the space and that was blocking off the main line so I had to send stuff around and I think because because I'd, if I had been successful in that first turn of killing maybe one or two trolls mm. instead I lost Gothmog 
uh, a, a wound or something, I think, or something along those. Oh no, I didn't lose. I just lost the combat and I, did, I survived, I think. But um, if if I'd maybe done something then, it would have been a little easier for me because I'd have broken through. But you're right. Another couple of things. The shooting was quite interesting. This game because although it only played for a couple of turns, it was quite important. Yeah, the the shooting actually went quite well because I think you did you kill. Uh, you killed someone in the first turn. You killed a spearman, I believe, with the shooting, and then I was able to take out Gothmog's warg, mm. um, which was not expected and obviously very welcome because I was worried about him charging him with the warg and then uh, calling Time of the Orcus come and once he'd made a hole and then like either maybe heroic combating just through to get to the objective or something. Um, so I was very worried about the warg. So that was yeah, worried. that that was a really good move, and you spent a point of might on that too. So it's the, the king's uh, king with the blowpipe, and you got the the forter wound or whatever it was and you took out the uh, took out the wild with an extra point of might and I think I, I thought at the time is that the right move because I still had three points of might you only had one strike in the army and he just spent one of his two points of might and I thought or oh, was it three I can't remember uh, no no he's got no, two. two two so I, I did wonder whether that was the right decision but as it turned out it gave me it, it just meant that Gothmog was so much less neutralised and it was definitely a, a good point of might to spend but it was it was a it was a really really interesting game because there was lots of little movement things that like like you say just tagging people which I think for, for beginners anyone uh, is new to the game this is a, a really key thing to be able to do is to go right I'm going to tag him so that he, he can't move into the good stuff and then Kardush and Gothmog slowly cracked through eventually and did get right next to the objective which Awag had gone to got picked up then died because he probably failed his courage check uh, or no someone killed him or something I can't remember either one but then they got there in the end but of course that, that was that was kind of too late by then because you'd cracked through av- absolutely everything else and you've got your guys on my objective yeah it was a fun game in terms of positioning and especially since we've both played with some very good players earlier on yesterday uh, in the masters master and commander portion um, and I was trying to kind of like bring the positioning that my uh, partner Jakob had tried to like teach me so that was quite fun um, having we both had fairly low numbers um, but we both had qu- quite a few few different threats in from various mm. places because you had Kardash and everything um, so it was quite that was quite nice trying to apply that and um, yeah uh, the, I think I think we both did pretty well. I think it was good. And I, I, at first I thought you'd made a mistake um, with the king because there was a little alcove which I hopped some guys over a fence um, on the left-hand side of the, the, the board to try and swing around from the left yeah. to, to get the objective. The warg was going around the, the right-hand side. And the king charged in into those two guys and I thought oh this is good this means that they've got, not got a king with impalers I've, I've not got a king with uh, strike war spear all this sort of stuff in the middle um, and I thought maybe that was that was a, a, a bad move but it probably worked out in, in your favour because it meant, just meant there was fewer threats and the positioning was uh, as you say quite quite key there but it just meant that, that your, your hero was actually safer because the Cardush Car for example couldn't fire blast him and I really wanted to fire blast him off his camel and I'd never got a chance until the very final turn and I, I didn't get, I didn't get the, uh, the right role for it so I'd, I'd never really had a chance to threaten you with Kardosh which would have been really useful for leaders and all that sort of stuff Yeah I think the, the main reason I think that went well is because of the half trolls again they, because they're so sturdy at the front I know I can kind of leave it, the king can go off um, they, they draw a fight with Gothmog so he's got to use a might if he wants to guarantee a fight and um, even though I didn't wound him until like the end the very end combat um, 
it was there was always a chance even if you put him into just one there's mm. still always a chance that you don't quite get the role you need um, and the half draw was able to just wound him I think there was a couple of times where I nearly wounded him mm. uh, I won the fight against him and um, also I'd played someone earlier who had done the similar a similar thing with um, Gilgalad and I thought that's a really interesting way to use like a fairly big hero obviously the Mahud King's not quite Gilgalad standard but um of just like I know they were going to be an issue and I couldn't really afford to bring anyone else back and you tagged my other camel rider so I thought well the king's going to have to do it it sucks a little bit but um, it worked out okay in the end yeah yeah, I think that's something that you might not normally think to do because the instinct certainly for me is that get Gothmog into the the line and help him help churn through troops but because you've got such a strong um, front line of, of half trolls yeah you don't need to do that your, your line is solid and at least this way when you're sending the king in to, do, to get those two Moranans it's not going to go pear shaped or it's much less likely to go pear shaped so he guaranteed those two kills it meant the objective was more safe and then of course he can then rejoin the fray and perhaps mop up once once your trolls have already done some good stuff and cleared out uh, cleared out the trash yes yeah I think he, he worked he worked really well and then um, the bit that maybe where it started to go a little bit wrong um, was when he went into Gothmog so Gothmog got through the line a little bit in the middle um, and from after going in getting those two guys who were going to the objective he then came back in I think maybe I would have been better off in hindsight going towards my objective to stop the warg rider that was nearby um, because it ended up and it was a good I think it was it was a reasonable chance for me to hurt, hurt wound Gothmog we both heroic struck I had uh, more dice because I had a captain in there helping but um, Gothmog ended up winning the fight and wounding the king yeah so, so I think I got the strike won the strike off didn't I yes you did yeah yeah you got the highest fight and I thought oh okay well you might not roll the six and you got the six um, and it was like ah okay and you were debating whether to go for the strike a little bit and I think it was definitely the, uh, right, the right call in the end well yeah it worked. It certainly worked out well <laughs> whether it was the right call or not statistically is, is a different matter But because I, I could have called a defence for example but I, I was worried if I call a defence it is literally being defensive and you may still end up getting the wound whereas yeah. if I strike I'm more likely to win therefore I'm more li- likely to get the wound even though it's a bit more risky on the winning front so I think probably statistically I don't think I made the right choice but it still worked out well yeah true but then I know you were worried about because uh, it was your last point of might yes so that was the other worry that you had of uh, where is it, it, there's a chance later on that if I go into him again I might try and strike for example and uh, and then you could get the master of battle once. yeah yeah that was the thing if I if I heroic defence then I know you're not going to bother doing anything because you're not going to bother striking with the ch- when you're wounding on sixes whereas if I strike I know you're probably going to strike back that means nobody's got might we're all sort of on even keel so either way Tom it, it was a fascinating game um, I can't remember the score in the end it was 7-1 or 2 uh, I you? think I think you got 2 because you, you did move the um, objective and uh, you wounded my leader so I think it was 7-2 in the end 7-2 yeah so the, the, this one's slightly odd in, in the sense that I moved the objective I get one one point um, if I'm still holding it I get three which is what you got uh, and then there's various different other points for, for other things that we won't go into anyway so there we go retrieval final game and actually a three or four of them have today have been uh, over the weekend have been new new scenarios how have you found them yeah I really enjoy them I like the fact that uh, there's something else to do rather than just uh, two battle lines hitting into each other that might be because my the troops that I decided to bring the sort of fairly odd army was that they end up work well in Independently, as long as you're not broken and they run away, you're fine. Yeah. Um, so, I, I quite enjoyed move, you know, having uh, some troops over here and some over there, and like lots of little fights going on. Well, Tom, thanks very much for the game. Well done on the win. No, thank you very much. It's good. 
I think it's pretty fair to say that Ed did the lion's share of the work, didn't he? And uh, I, I also didn't learn very much from his uh, his advice on day one. I think, to be fair, if I had the, uh, the the Witch King instead of Kardash and Gothmog, I might have been able to do some more uh, more tricksy stuff that I'd learned, because most of the learning points I found from day one were actually involving the Witch King. So maybe I should have thought more carefully about that and taken that. Having said that, it's also worth noting... There's nothing that uh, nothing as good in this game as actually having an experienced player showing you how to do things rather than just making your own decisions. So uh, even simple little mistakes soon pile up and lead to the devastating loss that I that we faced. But having said that, uh, after all of this, we ended up coming sixth in the tally because essentially what what the way it worked is almost like a golf tournament in that uh, whoever placed the uh, highest got got the lowest number of places or uh, I don't really know but anyway whoever had the lowest score ended up coming uh, winning in some some way shape or form so I think I did really badly in the the second day so I was like placed 10 uh, 16 15 I don't know whatever it was um and then other people uh, Ed was placed much higher at fourth or fifth or something like that so it ended up being somehow worked out as us becoming sixth place because of our doubles ranking on the first day as well so it all worked out actually quite nicely I think it's probably the best tournament I've had in a long time but who wins hmm of course it's as I live and breathe it's Will Champion again. Hello, I'm back. You're back. And this time uh, for winning the, the doubles part. And it's all very strange. So there's a Masters, which Jay Clare won. Yes. Um, he's not allowed to talk to me because of rules and writing and Games Workshop being a bit yeah. funny. Um, but you and Darren, hello, who we talked to earlier uh, on the podcast, um, won the other part. So it combines your scores and your scores, Darren, to somehow win. So how did you do yesterday in the doubles, both of you, Will? So yesterday we won three games, lost one, which was pretty good. Um, we took absolutely nothing seriously. We did some very stupid things, and it paid off. That's brilliant. And so, just before we, we I know you have to rush off, Will. But um, what was your army combined? So my half was Theoden, Gambling, Ten Riders, and three Royal Guard. Yeah, and I had uh, as before Denethor, Curin, Fountain Core, uh, a load of Warriors and Minas Tirith, some Rangers, and the Avenger Bolt Thrower. And of course, and you, you say you had had fun in the, the the Masters. Do you think you you learned anything from the way Will played things, Darren? Uh, yeah, just push things forward and roll dice, basically seems to work well it certainly works when Will's playing it's, how, it's, how, it's pretty much all you need to do to be fair it's a simple game was it, was it uh, the, the combination that, that helped you though yesterday because you've got a lot of cavalry you've got all the might you've got the, the bolt thrower that, that would have done some stuff yeah, the general tactic seemed to be that all of the horses would go in and die and then Gondor would come in and sort of sweep up what was left. That wasn't necessarily the plan, but it's what happened three games out of four. And, and we just we just sort of squeaked our wins, didn't we? The bolt thrower was excellent. We had a good time with that. Yeah. And, and today, um, Masters, uh, Will, you, I, I, I don't know how, where you ended up. Semi-finals so, at least. Yeah, I finished third in the Masters. Um, I was beaten by Jakob because we drew three all. Uh, but he then had less conceded VPs before, so he went into the final. Right, and that that means that uh, that means that of course, Darren, you did. How, I don't know how many wins you got in the end. Uh, I got three win- wins and a loss, so we're three wins and a loss day one, and both me and Will are three wins and a loss day two as well. So combined, it was uh, it's pretty good. And you've got some shiny trophies. How do you feel, guys? 
I've never won anything before, so I feel really happy. Excellent. And I feel excellent because this one's already got my name on it. It says champion on it. it well, does. there you go. Well done, guys. Uh, well done on winning the tournament and uh, of sorts. Yeah. Thank you very much. And well done for winning Best Sporting, Harry. Thank you very much. The race starts again. It does. The, the, yes, this means that uh, me have, have, a, have a Best Sporting and Harry Moore has a Best Sporting. All very exciting. I'll find out a bit more about uh, the tournament from Barney in a second. Okay, so tournament organiser, Barney Menzies. Um, this is the Masters tournament, so it, it's kind of a, a given that you have to invite the top players. Was it your idea to come up with the doubles part of it, add, add the, 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 the chaff, essentially, for, for doubles partners for the <laughs> Masters, like me? Um, so we had a conversation coming back from an event once I'd found out that we were going to be running the Masters, and we were trying to think what... You would what we would wanted to achieve running an event. And we we're like, well, the Masters is this sort of prestigious invitational only event where only 16 players get to come. So, what can we do with that format that kind of gives back to the community, involves the community as well? Because otherwise, it's, it feels a bit exclusive. So yeah, because like, it could end up being the same people every year. Yeah, exactly. So we thought, well, well, the best way to like spread out the pool of Masters is to hopefully give a load of people a bit of help, like getting better at the game, play with some really experienced players and pick up some tips and tricks that might help them in future tournaments, future games, or just like playing back at their local club. Yeah, and, and it worked really well. I, I, I must say, I really enjoyed the, the, the first day playing with Ed because I'd never, I'd never seen Ed um, I'd, I'd sort of work in, in minutiae uh, in the same way when you're playing against someone you yes you focus on what they're doing but also you're more perhaps thinking about what you're going to do in response rather than what would I do differently and what have they done that's going to achieve us things and what could we do next I think it added adds so many different dimensions to the game yeah def- definitely it's, it's all those little intricate things where oh you'd see that your partner's moving one model before the other and they're moving this guy like this and it's like oh why are you doing that it's like oh well I'm trying to get this off and I'm setting up for this in two times time or like mm. and it's all these things that like yeah like you say when you're looking at your model so deeply you're not really seeing what your opponent's doing mm. so playing alongside somebody sort of helps you pick up those little things absolutely and, and I learned a, a, a trick I mean I've heard, sort of heard of it happening before but I've never actually seen it used in practice of someone dismounting and going into a gap the Witch King did this in one of our games jumped into a gap and and did things and I really enjoyed seeing that because I've heard the concept and I thought ah in concept that that sort of makes sense but I couldn't actually have ever imagined it being useful yeah whereas Ed was knew exactly when to do it and what and why it was worth doing and I probably would have gone oh it doesn't fit in that gap all right okay I'll do something else not thinking I can still do things which is which is exactly the, the learning points that we want to get from this yeah and it also it almost gives you that sort of sense of confidence sort of being part of that action to see it done and then like oh well maybe I could try that next time it doesn't look that hard so I'll just do that stick my witch king in that sounds fun so yeah that's that's kind of what we were going for so yeah. I'm glad you had that experience that's great yeah I definitely did and I also like the idea of having the, the, the doubles part you, you take half of that army and have to stick with it for the, mm. the second part of the tournament because I was uh, at first I, I really didn't know what we should do and then I, I kind of worked out oh I have to take this army in the second which made it all the more interesting to build the list and have the help of, uh, of Ed to, to do that um, in the start I think it would have been interesting if I'd taken his half of the army with the mm. Witch King and a load of orcs because I'd learned some of these tricks and I think it would have been quite fun to do that yeah. but, but the restriction was there which made it just that little bit more interesting for, for army building as well yeah, and I, th- I think the other reason we did that was so that you had the experience of playing with an army and you're hopefully picking up tips and tricks about how to play your half of the army mm. going forward. So I know that my doubles partner 
had played one game before we played this tournament, like ever. Mm. Uh, and he was like, oh, I really want to try Eastlings. So uh, Will very generously lent us two 400-point armies of Eastlings. And I was like, well, here's this 400-point army of Eastlings. We'll spend the first day teaching you all the rules for your half of the army. And then day two, you're on your own, mate. So mm. do your best. And it, uh, he ended up doing all right in the end. Got lots of close games by the sounds of it. Mm. But we all obviously did pick up the spoon in the end. I was going to say, you, you, you are <laughs> holding a wooden spoon. <laughs> so, so there you go. But, uh, but I guess... The point is that this was a, a nice way, especially for an absolute beginner, to be eased into the game in hopefully a relaxing kind of fun way in the doubles, which I think a lot of people had a really quite a relaxing, fun experience. Um, to then, to then, yeah, like you say, being launched off into the big wide world, you know, f- uh, flying the nest, as it were. Yeah, and you also, you also get to see sort of the regular faces of the tournament community, get to know them, get to know their names, have a chat with them, play with some of them, so that next time, if this is your first tournament... Um, and you go to your next one, suddenly you've got people that you know and you talk to and it's not such a big, scary ordeal, which I think is very important. Yeah, that was one of the uh, other things I really liked about it because sometimes you think uh, the, the tournament the, the tournament scene generally, there obviously are some familiar faces and a lot of the familiar faces are the, the better players because they've been in it longer and you know that they are just the better players. Which, But... So you, they, those people hang around on the top tables together, making friends with each other, and and you know it can almost feel if you're you're starting a new tournament, you're thinking, oh yeah, that's that's the Jay Clare, he writes the rules, or oh, that's that's Ed Ball and Will Champion, they've won all the leagues in the past, and it could be like quite intimidating, but this way we've played because we've been playing at the same standard with a, a master, we can break into there yes yeah absolutely busting down sort of any cliquey walls as it were and making sure that everybody gets to interact with everybody everyone goes to the pub afterwards has some food and that's that's kind of the bit of the hobby that I enjoy the most is the social side and hanging out with people who have sort of like-minded hobbies that I do so that's what I wanted to encourage out of my event is the bits that I enjoy from the hobby well it's a cracking idea Barney thank you very much for organising tournaments brilliant thanks very much so there you go thank you very much to Barney of course for organising the tournament a great idea Uh, Masters and commanders what a what a sausage of an idea uh, absolutely brilliant stuff and um, so really enjoyed that and uh, well done of course to ed who uh, helped me guided me through who put up with me and my uh, lack of uh, acumen um for the entire weekend which is great fun and great to to spend a weekend uh, chatting with him and uh, sort of just talking through his strategies as well which was brilliant fun and to all of the players of course you featured in the podcast many 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 uh, people today uh, but either way it was a cracking weekend really really enjoyed all of the games it was uh, a ball and maybe that's why um, I did get a most sporting vote again um, which is always very nice um uh, so thank you very much to everyone we played uh, you made it as fun as hopefully I made it for, for you uh, by the sounds of things so uh, uh, it's good and um, so thank you very much to that um a couple of uh, little uh, housekeeping notes um I've mentioned a couple of times about a video coming up on my YouTube channel it's very soon it's very soon I'm very excited about it it's going to be good you're going to really enjoy it uh, it'll be coming up hopefully hopefully before uh, next uh, weekend um, which is to me the second week of March uh, second weekend of March so keep your eyes out um, uh, but I mean it, it's taking a bit of time to edit so um, there's that coming up that's very exciting um, lots of stuff on my YouTube channel Battle Games in Middle Earth if you're interested uh, head over to Patreon same name patreon.com slash Battle Games in Middle Earth that's like a request system you can sign up to that um, and you basically you get a get a chance to talk to the podcast support the podcast I've been investing in things especially for uh, the videos on there and uh, all that sort of stuff so do head over there if you're interested what else is coming up um lots of tournaments coming up grand tournament uh, is coming up this weekend 
So if you're listening to this on release day, um, then you'll uh, you'll be just ahead of the second weekend of March which means uh, Grand Tournament is this weekend, so hopefully you're enjoying that. If you're heading there uh, on a drive to the Grand Tournament, good luck. Um, I'm also doing a stream, uh, a live stream, with two of the artisans of Middle-earth, um, fantastic painters um, uh, who are, 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 have won the uh, Grand Tournament, all the Throne of Schools, and I think both, perhaps, um, Best Army Awards. So really big, big um, competition there for Best Painting. And Scott Whitefoot, and uh, Andy Hamblin are both excellent painters. I'm going to be talking to them in a live stream on the Facebook page, Facebook Live, on Great British Hobbit League Facebook page. If you're a member of that group, join it and search my name and you'll be able to find it. So Harry Parkill, hopefully you'll be able to find it by the time uh, you listen to this podcast. If uh, you're listening to it very keen and eagerly, um, then it might even be tonight. Uh, so there's that Grand Tournament coming up. Then after that, uh, there's the Battle of, uh, of Bywalsall, uh, not by water, but by Walsall at the end of the month. That's a GBHL event. Um, I am going to the Desolation of Stockport, though. That is going to be 13th, 14th and 15th of March, which isn't a GBHL event, but that's going to be the next podcast. So that'll be coming up, uh, hopefully, the week starting the 16th of March. And then coming up, uh, we've also got uh, James Gilray is running a tournament in Scotland. So thank, uh, one of James, James Gilray, who we spoke to him earlier in the podcast. Coming up in April, we've got the Heroes of Belagar Sea in Brexhill on Sea. Uh, in That's the 4th of April, Saturday, April, Brexhill on Sea in the south somewhere. Uh, Seven Gates of Gondolin, um, a 100-point uh, competitive event, again held by Barney Menzies in Nottingham. So uh, that should be a big big one for the league. Lots of the uh, lots of the people going there. And after that, uh, lots and lots of more things on the calendar. So I think that's pretty much uh, round us off for um, for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Um, do stay tuned for more Entmoot goodness and on the Battle Games in Middle Earth YouTube channel as well. There'll be something very exciting uh, dropping in there very, very soon. Thank you very much for listening. Boo-rah-rum. Boo-rah-rum.